hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. As he begins his Sermon on the Mount, as the hearers hear the words of the Rabbi Jesus, I think they are blown away with the revolutionary truth that he is sharing. The Sermon on the Mount, without question, the greatest sermon ever preached. It's about a 13-minute sermon, sorry. But it's the greatest sermon ever preached, and as the hearers began to receive that, likely, for the most part, generally, peasants from the area of the Sea of Galilee along with the disciples of Jesus. They lean in to hear. John Stott says that the Sermon on the Mount is the most complete description anywhere in the New Testament of Christian counterculture. Here is a Christian value system, ethical standard, religious devotion, attitude to money, ambition, lifestyle, and network of relationship, all of which are total opposite of the non-Christian world. The sermon presents life in the kingdom of God, a fully human life indeed, but lived under divine rule. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have what is known as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. There's a little bit of argument of how many actually there are. You can work on that in your free time. But the, 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 the Beatitudes are these powerful statements. And, and Beatitude, the word itself, means a state of great joy. That alone causes me to lean in. Because I know in my life I would love a perpetual state of great joy. You see, the, the Beatitudes are more than tips on how to have a happy life. They're actually reality statements representing the dawning of a brand new kingdom. These are kingdom life statements. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we are looking at three of the Beatitudes this weekend. Join me and looking at the text, I'm reading out of the ESV version. <clears throat> Seeing the crowds, he went up, speaking of Jesus, on the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. The picture that I showed on the screen, that's the area, the Mount of the Beatitudes, where this takes place, the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus sets down as most rabbis did to teach. His disciples are coming to him, <clears throat> and it's likely that others began to gather around. Notice verse 2, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's revolutionary to an audience that had never heard anything like this before. He begins with this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first word that he mentions, blessed, 
as that word fell upon their ears, we're likely talking about peasants and villagers and day-by-day survivors, and they had never saw their life as blessed. Blessed. What a powerful word. And even in our culture, I don't know if there's a word that's been more misused and misquoted and misunderstood than blessed. And as the hearers hear the rabbi say blessed, I wonder what they thought. You're talking to us, to me. You see, when we say blessed, primarily in the Western culture, we think favorable circumstances. Things are going well in life, and rightfully so. God's been incredibly good to us. In fact, I think He blesses us in so many ways at so many times that we often lose sight of His goodness in our lives. Jesus says, blessed, and man, when they hear that, I think they are moved. I think they put the latte down, and they're like, I'm taking notes. I wish we would as well. So when I say blessed, a lot of things probably come to your mind, and when I say blessed, you probably think favorable circumstances or something was provided to you, a friend, a thing, a house, a car, a job, health. Absolutely, God blesses us in those ways. But blessing is broader, it's deeper, it's richer than just talking about that. And and quite frankly, I I don't hear as much talk about blessing when life is a mess. Do you? (laughs) I don't. When you lose the job, when you're a part of an estranged relationship, when you get news from the doctor, we don't talk a lot about blessing at that point. I remember years ago, I don't know if it was a bumper sticker or a t-shirt that said, too blessed to be stressed. You guys remember that? Too blessed to be stressed. I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. It just wasn't my reality. I'm not sure about you, but I thought, boy, that's powerful. And yeah, I'm too blessed to be stressed. But I don't know about you, but I, I have days where I'm blessed and stressed. You as well? Sure. In fact, I'm not so sure sometimes that the stressing isn't the blessing. Now, we wouldn't look at stressing as a blessing based upon the T-shirt. But blessing comes in so many ways and so many forms of things that we would never consider a blessing can quite frankly be an incredible blessing. The Greek word blessing, makarios, means fully satisfied. Say that with me, fully satisfied. It's a state of perpetual great joy, and it's based upon the presence of God and His work in our lives. It's full satisfaction, right? A state of perpetual joy. What a powerful word. And Jesus is now that word. Macarius is rolling off his lips and they're receiving the word. And then he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Wait a second. That does not make sense. I thought the Pharisees, the rabbis, they're the blessed ones. I'm just out grinding it out day in and day out. I'm blessed are the poor in spirit. This is a, it's a, it's a deep, powerful Greek word. Patokos, it means one reduced to beggary, spiritual bankruptcies, a person with no spiritual assets at all. You don't have a spiritual leg to stand on. And Jesus said, you're the blessed ones. It just doesn't make sense. This is the revolutionary nature of the teaching, and blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt and actually know it and actually hold on to it and embrace it because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's it's a powerful thing that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
kingdom of heaven, it's the place where God rules and he reigns. Anywhere God rules and reigns in a person or a place, the kingdom is present. And the kingdom of heaven, he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom, it's elusive, it's dawning. The kingdom is present and it's futuristic. The kingdom of heaven is anywhere where God's power and presence are being manifested in people's lives, in the lives of his body, the church. Luke 17, 20 and 21, Jesus has an interesting conversation with the Pharisees. Notice what he says, Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, they were kind of slow learners. They would often ask him a question to to try to trap Jesus. I, I don't recommend that. So they ask him a question, hey, when's the kingdom of God and when is this coming? By the way, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are, are synonymous in the Scriptures. So when, when, when's the kingdom of God, when's it going to come? Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Notice what he says, verse 21, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, wait, the kingdom of God is within you? What a power. They're like, we want to see the work of the kingdom. Jesus said, no, no, no. The kingdom of God is within those who are poor in spirit. It's a powerful principle. So he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on to the second beatitude, and it gets a little, it gets amazing. He said, now, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now they've got to be shaking their head. Like, where, where is he going with blessed or mourn, for they shall be comforted? It's the Greek word here for mourn is pantheo. It means to mourn over death. It means manifested grief. It's often used when, when, when a person loses a loved one, a close loved one to death, that that's the level of grief, and, and that grief is manifested in so many ways in our lives. And it's, it's a tough journey. You, you've likely been on that journey. That's what this word means, but in the context, it likely refers to the sin and the brokenness of humanity. He, he wants them to reflect upon their own condition, their spiritual condition, that spiritual, spiritual bankruptcy, and he, he takes them back to understand that this grief, this mourning is over our sin and our brokenness. Dwight Pentecost, he said this, our Lord did not promise to bless those that moan, but only those that mourn. I think the kingdom would be a little better off if we moaned less and mourned more. Blessed are those who mourn, who are broken over their own sin. Notice what he says. They shall be comforted. Wow. I don't know about you. When I moan, I don't feel very comfortable. <laughs> I'm not comfortable. When I mourn over sin... Here's what happens. Notice what happens. They shall be comforted. The Greek word is parakaleo. It's a verb. They're going to receive comfort. It it, it literally means one who comes alongside of one and helps them on the journey. In in Greek life, Greek culture, it had to do with with an advocate, a, a, a legal advocate who would help someone with their case. Look here with me in John 14, 16 to 17. The words of Jesus. He says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper, parakletos, parakletos, masculine noun, same root word of parakaleo. Do you know the Holy Spirit is the parakletos? 
the comforter, the one who comes alongside. It's a powerful thing. He says, I'm going to send you another helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. He will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. But it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. When we mourn over our sin, the promise is we will be comforted by the Holy Spirit. What a powerful, powerful truth. What a powerful truth that, that the villagers and, and the peasants and those disciples are hearing for the very first time. We're to mourn over sin. It's not what we've been hearing around these, these parts. He's like, as you mourn, as you weep, as you grieve over your sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world, the Holy Spirit will come along and be faithful to you. The comfort comes from the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on in the third beatitude. Notice what he says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh boy, they're shaking their heads now. This is language they're not used to. This is language that most likely they would have never thought about, maybe some, to some degree, but on a small, small scale. We're, we're, we're going to inherit something? Us? We've got a little plot of land. We're day by day people. We're surviving. We're on the grind. And you're, Are you sure that came out? Did you hear he said something about an inheritance? Yeah, we're going to inherit the land. Who? The meek. It's a powerful idea. According to Bill Farmer's news, newspaper column, J. Upton Dixon was a fun-loving fellow who said he was writing a book entitled Cower Power. He also founded a group for submissive people, and he called it the Doormats. They were the dependent organization of really meek and timid souls, if there are no objections. Their motto was this. The meek shall inherit the earth if it's okay with everybody. Their symbol was the yellow traffic light. Pros. Pros. Say that word with me. Pros. It's the Greek word. It means strength under control. And I know you know this. Meekness is not weakness. It's by no means. It's, it's strength under control. Pros. It was generally used by the Greeks to describe a war horse who had been trained, who had been trained to go into battle, and no matter how great the confusion of the war in the heat of the moment, that horse would restrain all the strength that it had, strength under control. That's biblical meekness. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 describes himself as meek. Look at what he says. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I want you to learn from me, for I am gentle. It's the word pros, my meek. And I'm lowly in heart, and there you will find rest for your souls. To meek a horse is not to strip that horse of its power. It's simply to harness the power of the horse, and use the power of the horse for specific purposes. Monty Roberts, who this is actually just a picture of a video 
It's a gentleman by the name of Monty Roberts. And I don't know if you've, I, I haven't, I've seen it on TV. I've seen someone try to break, right, or meek a wild stallion. Have, have you seen people try to do that? And you thought, why in the world would anybody <laughs> want to do something like that? But they do, and, and they're trying to break that horse. You know what I'm saying by break, right? They're trying to tame that horse to where it can be ridden and used and those kind of things. So this is a guy named Monty Roberts, and he uses a different technique. He uses a technique based upon communication. It's a gentle technique. And this video, it's about, I don't know, I'm, we're not watching the video. It's just a picture of him operating this video. Here he has a wild horse uh, by the name of Corona. His goal for Corona within 30 minutes is to be able to put a rider on her or him within about 30 minutes. He works her. He eventually gets a saddle on her. When he puts the saddle on her, she begins to buck, begins to go crazy. You, you can see the video. She's going berserk. He pulls the saddle off, calms her down, and before the video's over, there's a man that gets on her and rides her. He does all of this very gently and very uh, without an aggressive nature jumping on and holding on, right? Kind of old school stuff. He has four identifiers that help him know that he's making progress with the horse. He, he walks this specific horse in circles. You see he's in a round ring, and he walks this horse in specific circles, and it, it, it's very intriguing how he does it. He has four indicators that he knows, all right, we're making progress, all in communication. One of the key indicators is that when he begins to see and realize that now he has the horse's inside ear. That's why I showed you this picture. So he focuses on and he understands when that horse begins to listen. He, he's in the video. He'll say, oh, now I have the ear. And the ear will just barely move. He's like, okay, now I have the ear. The outside ear is on things on the other side. I have the, in, I have the ear. He identifies other things that helps him not realize we're making progress in meeking, breaking, taming this horse. The inside ear. Say that with me. The inside ear. You, you would watch the video and think, well, the horse is just moving the ear. And Monty's like, no, no, no. I just connected with the horse. Now we're communicating. The horse is now listening with the inside ear. One of the ways that a kingdom citizen develops meekness is listening to the Spirit with the inside ear. This is how we grow into kingdom citizens. This is how we grow into, into meekness. This is how we grow to strength under control. Anybody can fly off the handle. Amen? Meekness is about control. It, 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 it's about a, a, a poise with purpose in the kingdom. But hearing is not always heeding. Would you agree? Let me give you an example that I'm ashamed to tell, but I will tell it. Just a few days ago, I made my way to the Home Depot again. <laughs> I've seen some of you folks there often. When I got to the Home Depot parking lot, I was going to get something very small. I was going to get like four anchor bolts. I knew right where they were. 
once I left my vehicle, went in and came out, maybe 10 minutes, right? I go to the self-checkout, do my thing, and I'm out of there. When I got out of my vehicle, I'm making my way uh, toward the, you know, the big door. I don't go in the main entrance. I go in the other door where the pros go in, I think, right? I want to park in pro parking, but I haven't yet. So as I'm making my way toward that entrance, just a little local knowledge about our Home Depot, you got to come out that door. You might as well go in that door. Don't park by the door. Don't park by the main door because if you come out, you've got to walk. Just a little local knowledge. As I'm making my way to the door, I, I notice there's a, a gentleman, and he's, he is working on the propane tanks, right? He's replenishing the propane tanks at the Home Depot. I see his truck, and, and the Spirit said, I want you to pray for that man. What? I want you to go pray for that man. I kept walking. The man's working, just replenishing the propane things. The Spirit again prompted me and said, go pray for that man. I've never seen the man before in my life. I want to tell you what I did is that I walked over there and I prayed for that man. That's what I want to tell you. But that's not the truth. What I said when the Spirit, when I, listen, inside ear, the Spirit said, go, I said, okay, but what I will do is I will go get those anchor bolts, and then when I come back out, if the man is there, I'll go pray for him. You see, we often hear the Spirit, but we don't often heed what He tells us to do. I made my way in. I bet I was in there less than 10 minutes. I came back out. That man was gone. He was gone. God is my witness. I never thought about it again until a couple mornings ago, literally at around 2.30 a.m. Here I am. The Spirit's like, what are you doing, man? You heard, but you didn't heed. Growing in meekness is about not just hearing the Master, but it's heeding to the voice of the Master. Meekness, what's up with meekness? Well, he says, you inherit the earth. Oh my! And there's so much implication with that. Don't have time. It can, some of the implications are maybe speaking of Revelations 21, the new heaven and the new earth, possibly. By the way, Jesus is quoting Psalms 37, 11 here. He's quoting the Old Testament. Could mean that. Could mean Ephesians chapter 1 where we're already a part of the inheritance. We're, we've already inherited much of this kingdom, right? So there is that element of inheritance a futuristic, it's quite possible, but some commentators think that, that the inheritance has already begun, that, 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 that inheriting the earth, it's here and it's now. For example, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the meek already inherit the earth in this life, in this way. A man who is truly meek is a man who always is satisfied. He uses the Greek word blessed, markareos, blessed, as fully satisfied, independent of circumstances. He is a man who is already content. 
He argues that the inheritance has already begun. It's already taken place for the meekness. Let me ask you three questions as we close. Number one, are you a kingdom citizen? You have to be born again into this kingdom. No 15-day visas. I'm not asking you, are you part of a church? Do you do spiritual things? Are you religious? It's not what I'm asking. Are you a kingdom citizen? You say, Pastor, how would I know if I'm a kingdom citizen? You have a king, and his name is Jesus. If you don't have a king named Jesus, you might have a king. But if his name isn't Jesus, you're not a kingdom citizen that we're talking about. C.H. Spurgeon said this, Now what I have, but what I have not, is the first point of contact between my soul and God. Let's look at that again. Not what I have, but what I have not. That's the first point of contact between my soul and God. If you're not a kingdom citizen, I pray that you will fall on your knees and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I repent. I surrender. I lay my life down. I understand my spiritual destitution, my spiritual bankruptcy. I'm in desperate need of your grace and forgiveness, Jesus. I give you my life. If you've never done that, we invite you into this kingdom. Maybe you're already a kingdom citizen. Let me ask you this question. Are we really mourning over our sin? My goodness, that's a tough one, isn't it? Are we mourning over sin? We might feel sorry about it. We might feel some conviction of the Spirit. But how often, I'm just thinking of my own self, how often do I mourn over sin? How often does sin disturb me? And like, what's the big thing about sin? It costs our king his life. And not only that, Sin is destructive. It's how the enemy works to destroy the work and the purposes of God in our life. And and that's why Jesus calls us to mourn over sin. Is there anything in your life, any sin, that you need to come face to face with and just get on your knees and fall on your face and just mourn and, and weep and grieve over that in your life? What's the promise, Pastor? The promise is the Holy Spirit will come and minister to you. That's the promise. Last question. Are we growing in meekness, living these fully surrendered lives? It's a powerful word, isn't it? Are we a people poised for the king's purpose? Poised the king's purpose. Meekness is interesting because sometimes when you're wronged, it's tough to be meek, gentle, strength under control. Amen? Hey, sometimes when you're right, it's also difficult to be meek, to be strength under control. I think we grow into this meekness. And how do we do that? Listening with the inside ear to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Last week, Pastor Rod he gave a great message, and he said, I love this part. If you were here, he, he gave the example of his, he showed us a picture of his room when he was a young kid, had a wonderful tennis racket on the wall. I didn't see it coming, but he had a tennis racket. 
And it was really cool. But he talked about the expectation of growing up in his home in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then when he transitioned into the military, things changed a little bit. Expectations changed. And he basically said this, that Jesus has expectations of us. And that's to live like a kingdom citizen. That's true. A couple weeks ago here, we talked about our mission, vision, and, and where we want to be as a, as a church. And I just want to remind you, one of the things that we mentioned was what we just call our vision of what, what we see kingdom citizens becoming here. And let me just read it, and then we're going to close. Our vision is to serve as an army of passionate kingdom ambassadors mobilized to pray care and share the love of Jesus enabling those in our relational circles to be transformed by the power of Christ and conform to his image for the glory of God basically to live as outpost of the kingdom folks wherever we go we're outpost of the kingdom that's a big responsibility but it, it, it's a bigger honor to live as citizens of the kingdom. Let me pray for you. Father, we pray you work in our lives. We give you permission. We surrender everything, our thoughts, our sins, our agendas. Father, help us to understand the, our spiritual bankruptcy without you. No spiritual pretense, no pride. We come to you empty. Oh, God, that you may fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, that we enter into this incredible kingdom that you have established, that you brought. Oh, Father, I pray that you will help us and teach us to mourn over the sin, the, the, the sins of commission, the, the, the sins that we commit. But, Father, also the sins of omission. I'm thinking my own life and that man I should have prayed for. That's a sin. The Scripture says, he that knows to do it good and doesn't do it, it's sin. Oh, Lord, help us to mourn. Help us to be broken over the brokenness in our own lives and in the world around us. Father, not to moan about things, but to mourn, to be broken, that the Holy Spirit can minister and touch and comfort. And, oh, Father, I pray for your people to rise up and be, lack of a better word, like those Greek war horses, strength under control, in the line of battle, in the line of duty, that we stay loyal to the Master who has worked on us and trained us and equipped us. Father, let us be people of strength but under control. The world has enough people with strength with no control. Let your people be strong, poised for kingdom purpose. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.